I'm surprised the team, John. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Okay. Um, I was reading Luke. I've been, uh, well, really more, but this is from Luke 7.13. It says, Thus, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. I'm sorry. Stress out. It's in Hebrews 4.12. Oh, that's a lot of difference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two edges of the Thank you. Alive and active and quick and powerful, yes. I also agree on the parallel because I want to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. But it's not very often too different in that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. What is? The Word of God is. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. What penetrates? The Word of God penetrates. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, there's a couple of scriptures that come to mind when you bring that out. One is in 2 Timothy 3 and, and 16. And uh, it says, uh, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Another one that comes to my mind. So he says here that, the, that, that we, that's what the Word of God is for. That's what the Word of God does. It shows you, like he read in, in Hebrews 4.12, that it shows you that it, it, it divides, it's like joints and marrow, it divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know, and I think about the heart a lot. You know, it shows you where your heart's at. The Word of God, when you're really honest with the Word of God and you look at the Word of God. And the Word of God, it, it, if you read it with an open and honest heart, then it will show you where you're at. You know, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It shows you where you're at. Uh, it makes me think a lot about... Uh, the book of um, James chapter 1 where it says that um, 
one that looks in the word and he sees him sees it as a mirror, you know, because like you said, it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when he looks in the word, he's got to look at it as a mirror. What does a mirror do? It's a reflection of what the word is saying and a reflection of what you really look like. And not to be a forgetful hearer. Like a man that looks in the mirror and he forgets what he sees, you know, he sees something that he that he's got a flaw there, that something's wrong, that he's doesn't that maybe because of something that's coming out that it's not it's not right. And instead of repenting and turning from that way, he for, he becomes a forgetful hearer and walks away from that mirror. And and uh, he said, "Don't be that forgetful hearer." And then he goes on there and he talks about that if we not bridle not our tongue, that our religion is worthless. But to, what number are you talking? In James. James. What? Well, I'm talking from James, probably one twenty-two, which it says, "Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only." Unless you deceive yourself and look into a mirror. Yeah, so it goes on there all the way to the very last verse of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't turn there, but I just know that that's what we're talking about. So the, the word is, is that discerner. Also in John chapter 12, says that his word is what's, he said, I didn't come to judge you. He says, but my word is what's going to be the judge, is what's going to be there to judge you in the last day. So I think it's important that you know the word of God because that's what's going to judge you, right? You want to know God's word. You want to be studying God's word. You want to be not looking at it as a school book, but like Claire said, looking at it like it's going to show you the thoughts and intents of your heart. If the word of God says one thing and your behavior says something else, then we don't need to try to straighten the word out. We need to turn from our ways and... Your life has to be straightened out and be lined up with the Word of God. Because Jesus said in John 12, in verse 47, he says, uh, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save it. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him and him, him the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So the word is what's going to judge us in the last day. So we, you know, when you read the word of God and we study the word of God like this, you gotta, you need to take it really, really serious. We must take it real serious because that word is going to judge us in the last day. Well, what's the last day? Turn to Revelation. You're going to find the last day in the book of Revelation. Here we go. Revelation chapter twenty. Verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne. Am I going too fast? Are you guys okay? And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face on earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered the dead that was in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So they, the works mean they were doers of the word. 
and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whoever was not found written in the book, book of life um, was cast into the lake of fire. I want to I wanna look at the, uh, the heart. Jill, would you, uh, or somebody, would you go downstairs? I've got in, in the, um, in the um, garage a whole big case of Bibles. Would you bring up a couple of them? You know where it's at? No, she knows where it's at. Let's bring a couple of Bibles so they can, just so y'all can read along. Is that okay? That's okay? You don't mind? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the only kind, isn't it? <laughs> Heart. It is in his heart. He's talking about his phone, though. You said I have my own. You did. <laughs> no, I thought they, they thought you said you seen your heart. Oh, phone's right, <laughs> right, Bob. <laughs> That's good, Bob. Either way, you got it, baby. <laughs> but it is. It's a. Uh, it's it's. We know that as long as we're living by that standard, that whenever we stand before the judge, then we know that. We don't stand guilty, and we don't stand convicted by the word. You know, I just thought of that. You know, as you were saying that, Bob, and, and, and guys, I know this is a little different because normally when God just speaks, but we, we want to have real church and real churches where we fellowship with one another and we're able to express ourselves and, and be able to judge and be able to look at the word and, and, judge, and live our lives out by the word. So the scripture says when Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert uh, 40 days and 40 nights, do you remember that? Uh, the first thing he was tempted with was that he was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil says, hey, if you're hungry, there's a stone. Turn it into bread and eat it. And Jesus says, made to quote, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it was talking about the importance of the word. And, and Job said this. He says, I esteem the word more highly than my necessary food. I mean, that's what he thought of it. Uh, David, King David said, uh, I rejoice at your word as one that finds great spoil, like he found this, just a treasure. And the Bible says we have this treasure hidden in earthen vessels in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So, uh, so the, yes, the word is, is blessing. And, and uh, David also said, I, I've hid your word in Psalms 119, uh, 5. He says, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, so it was important. He also said in Psalms 119, 105, he says, 
the word of the lamp, the word of the Lord is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Like it's what's guiding me. I'm using it for my direction. It's a light. It's, it's guiding my path. So, and, and, uh, and Jesus' name was exalted above all. And he says, but he said, I've esteemed my word even above my name, he said. So the word of God is, is the most important thing should be as Christians. It's the most important thing in our, in our lives is living God's word because we're going to spend eternity with the Lord if we follow that. So it's important to take heed to God's word, to examine it, uh, and not um, so much men's opinions, but listen to what the word of God says and stick to the simplicity of what God's word says. When it says something, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, that's, that's your word. And it talks about as a discerner of the, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And, you know, I was thinking about the, the heart today, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's, he goes, you know, blessed are poor in spirit, for they shall see theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and he goes to blessed are they mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But then when it goes down to verse 8, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, and I got to thinking, well, what does pure in heart mean? And I looked up pure, and I was thinking about it, you know, like, what does that word pure really mean, you know? Because that's important. Because they're going to see God. Because if my heart is not pure, then I'm not going to see God. And... Um, I looked up the word pure. Don, you have it handy or not? Can you look, uh, if you want to look at it, or okay. Uh, um, oh, I got it right here. Oh, thank you, never mind. It says pure means clean. Uh, uh, it says clean um, which uh, free from the corrupt, free from corrupt desire, from sin and guilt. Free from every admixture of what is false, sincere, genuine, blameless, innocent. He said, that's a pure heart. So that's pretty heavy duty of, you know, you want to have a pure heart because you want to see God. So that's what pure really means. And um, I was thinking about, uh, go to James chapter 4, if you would. In James chapter 4, he's talking to people there, you know, and he says, and he starts off and he says, you know, and somebody might ask the question, man, why do people argue? Why do people fight with each other? You know, from where, where does wars and fightings come from? And he answers that question. And he says, come they not of your own lust that war in your own members, your own desires. You have not because you ask, not because you ask amiss, wanting to consume it upon your own lust. Then he goes into you adulterers and adulteresses. You know, don't you don't you know that the friendship of God is enmity with God, enmity with God? You're like oh, 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 walking away from the Lord. So, wars and fighting come from people trying to get their way. They try to fulfill their own desire. They try to win the argument, trying to get their way, and instead of just yielding to the Lord. So these people is kind of showing that their hearts are really not right with God. 
And he goes on and he says, um, verse 6, he says, but God, but he giveth more grace, wherefore resist. Verse 8, verse 6, but he saith, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's heavy duty to me. Because um, if, if you're a proud person and you, you, know, and you, uh, you don't humble yourself to this word and you want to think, well, somebody told me something that I'm okay and that, that you know, I, I feel like I'm okay because I did this, this, and this, then that's a proud person. But the humble person, you know, he, he just comes before the Lord. He's wanting these people to really humble themselves and get the grace that they need. And he says, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he'll fl- flee from you. Submit yourself to God means totally yield yourself over to the Lord, totally regenerated in the Lord. Draw near to God, there's a promise. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. You notice he always, the Lord always says, you take the first step. You make the step. You draw near to God. If you do that, then he'll draw near to you. But he's, he doesn't ever say, well, I'm going to draw near to you, and you, then you can draw near to me. He really says for you to take the step, because we have the choice. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. All right, let's, let's stop there just a minute. Huh? Who's he talking to? He's talking to anybody that's not, that hasn't come to this place. He's wanting these people to come to a place of real repentance. And, and he's saying there that to purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does it mean to be double-minded? It does, yeah, yeah, when yeah. When he says, uh, you, uh, when you ask for it, uh, have complete faith and don't trust in the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world, or else he'll be like, you know. Yeah, and James, he talks about uh, asking for wisdom, you're right, and he says, but when you ask, ask in faith, don't be double-minded to believe that you receive what you get or else you won't receive anything if you don't. And But here, the double-minded is a little bit different here because it's talking about almost like a person living a double life. Yeah. Where he, one time when he's around certain people, he lives one way, and another time when he's on other people, he lives another way. That's one double-minded. Or you could be double-minded in a way that you could be talking a certain, talking one way and you're not really living it, like hypocritical. You, you're double-minded then. You're not really all the way in. You know, so you're double-minded. And he tells the double-minded to do what? To what? Purify their hearts. Purify their hearts. Um, and I'm, I want to go back to that, but he says, so how do they purify their hearts? He says, be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God, and he shall exalt you. That's a real brokenness. That's a real godly sorrow to lead to, that will lead to repentance. But it's important also to know um, about the heart. We're talking about the heart. Uh, as far as the pure in heart shall see God. Um, the pure in heart, we saw that in Strong's, that word pure meant blameless, uh, no sin, innocent before the Lord. And important to go through and, and go back to, let's just go back to Mark chapter 7. And here's the people that were, they. They, were, they had commandments of men, the scribes and Pharisees. They, they really came up with a lot of stuff just like they do today of these 
saying you need to do this and you need to do that. It's not really written in the word. They just come up with these things. And they, they had the ceremonial washings and they were talking about washing your hands before you eat and all these things. And Jesus began to point it. They said, man, your disciples are just eating. They're not washing hands. He says, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but it's that which comes out of the mouth. That's what defiles a man. And he says in Mark chapter 7, he explained that to his disciples. They asked him, what do you mean in verse 18? And then uh, he said, it comes out of mouth, he cannot defile the man. Verse 19, he says, because it enters not into his heart, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lust or lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So if, if we know that if we got anything coming out of our mouth or anything that we're exhibiting, where is it coming from? It's coming out of the heart. So when he says to purify your heart, when I have something exhibited out of my life that would be unholy or ungodly, then I would have to say, man, my heart's really not right with God yet. And I need to go back and, do, and take the instructions that were given to me in James chapter 4 and break before God to cry out for mercy, have a brokenness, a godly sorrow, and tremble at his word and ask God to forgive me, first of all, like it talks about 1 John 1, 9. And then I need to repent and turn from that action and begin to walk with the Lord. And he says, if I will do that, that, that humbleness, then he will exalt you and, and bring you through, bring you through that, that action. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. You okay over there? I'm, I'm jealous, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I'm <laughs> <Still. jealous>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to make sure you're okay. You need some water or anything? Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah go get your glass of water then. Yeah, Bob's got a glass. He can drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Right there. <laughs> uh-huh. they're, they're almost like Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of them are. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times it is. Like slander, blasphemy is slander. Mm-hmm. Pride, arrogance. Real, real, everything else, murder is murder. Theft, theft. Really cool, but mm-hmm. it's that close. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Matthew 15. Verse 1. Uh, Jesus is actually sp- saying the same thing, but this is Matthew's version of it. Um. And in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse, let's start at, um, at verse uh, 7 there. He says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws near me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So just because you apparently look like you're drawing near to God, and you honored him with your mouth uh, and with your lips, 
but your heart's far from me. And so what happens? But in vain, they do worship. That's not real worship. You can be saying a lot, lipping a lot of words, mouthing a lot of words. You can be like you're really drawing near to God. But Larry, if your heart isn't right, then you're worshiping it in vain is what he's saying, right? That's what I read. So it's important, it's very, very important, this is very basic, that the heart is right with God. But it's very, very important to examine your heart. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, to examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You know, unless you be reprobate. So we examine ourselves how? By the word of God. By what Sister Claire said to begin with, that it shows the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you look at the word of God and you see what the word of God is saying. Um, I like what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Mm-hmm. About at the beginning. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, oh. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's right. Or if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. If I know all, if I have all knowledge and know all mysteries and have not love, it profits me nothing. <laughs> you know, everything. If I give all that I have to feed the poor and, and have not love, it profits me. In other words, you can do those things and still not have love is what it tells me, Bob. You know, you can be doing them out of different motives. That's exactly right. That's what Jesus said. He said, you, he, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Yeah, and do not those things that I said. Do not those things that yeah, I said. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't the doing them that was wrong, it was the, the heart. How, why are you doing them, you know? And, and I like where it drops down, you know, and I'm just going to throw this in as extra. You, this, is, this is this extra. When you're examining love, I always examine the life of Jesus with those words. Like in 1 Corinthians 13 that you talked about, where it says love is kind. You know, love, you know, thinketh no evil, doeth no evil, does not behave itself uncommonly. Uh, does not exalt itself over someone else, you know, prefers others, you know, all those things. And, I, and somebody had told me one time, they said, well, love is kind, and, and you know, certain people just harsh, you know, they're not kind. And I, I said, well, let's, let's examine the life of Jesus. Je- the Bible says that in 1 John that God is love. So Jesus is love. And was he kind? He was love. What is the definition of kind? Love is kind, Right. Then you begin to think, well, what did he do sometimes? Well, he went to the temple one time. He threw over the tables, and he, and he threw, them, threw the money everywhere and um, brought a whip up in there. I would imagine those people thought, man, he's not very kind, <laughs> you know? Or, or how about when in John chapter 8 when uh, he's talking to those uh, scribes and Pharisees, and they're telling him that he was born in fornication and that, and that you know, he's talking about being free from sin, and they said, we've never been in bondage to anyone, and and they go on and they, they fight him and he, and he says, you know, you're of your father, the devil. Well, he was a liar from the beginning and, and, uh, and you, you all follow his steps. I imagine they thought he wasn't too kind. But what Jesus saw was it wasn't, he was more interested, the kindness of the God was to bring a man to repentance, was to, to he was looking at the soul like, I mean, if they get offended by what I said, or they think I'm not their way of thinking kind is, I'm really being kind because I'm telling them what's necessary for them to get their lives right with me. You, you get that? He's, he was looking beyond. His kindness was that, you know, if, if I see somebody that's, you know, we give that illustration of the somebody burning in the house we talked about, you know, and I don't warn them, 
you know, and their house is on fire and they're going to be burned up because they worked all night and they, you know, they were, uh, they, they had worked all night and they, they were sleepy and tired. And I said, well, I don't want to wake them up, you know, but their house is on fire. You know, well, that guy probably don't think you're very kind when you, right when you wake him up, but he's trying to save his soul. He's trying to save his life. So a lot of those things are like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Romans 11, yeah. That's Verse right. Verse is tough love. Huh? Tough love. It's, it, it's tough love. Yeah. It's like your daddy beating you butt. He still loves you, but he's trying to, you know. He loves some daddies. Some daddies just beat you for that, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but kindness is not leaving them where they are. Kindness, yeah. And, and, and even if they're mad at you, that you're going to tell them, you know. I mean, look, look at, I'm, I look at John the Baptist, you know. And everybody said, man, that's a, he was like a wild man, you know. They're coming to get baptized, and he says, he says, uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, you generation of vipers, you know, bring forth fruits of repentance before I baptize you. Thinking, man, John. Or, oh, oh, wait a minute, what about his, Herod's wife that he tells Herod? He says, man, you, you married to your brother's, uh, brother's wife. You need to send her back. And it cost him his head, you know, because his wife got so mad at him. But was he kind? Yeah, he, John the Baptist walked in kindness. He wanted them to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or, or even Stephen, that when John in Acts chapter seven, when when he was getting ready to be stoned, he said, "Man, you stiff-necked and hard-necked people, you resist even even as the uh, after your fathers did. You know, you 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 resisting. So a lot of times you need to watch out because people will try. Oh, you're just not being kind. Yeah, I am because I want to save your soul. I want to see your soul get saved." Yeah, I know you don't like what I'm saying. You may not even like the way I'm saying it, but it's, let's, let me give you something that's going to make the difference because a lot of times, guys, we think, well, they're not, they going to think we're not being kind if we're telling them the truth. You need to tell them the truth. Yeah, it got Jesus killed because they thought he wasn't kind. He hung him on a cross, Speaking but yet he was kind. Sir? Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, yeah, yeah. that's right. So the definition of love sometimes is different than what the world calls the definition of love, or even some people are professing Christians. But anyway, getting back to the heart, um, and he gives that same definition in Matthew chapter chapter 15. So, I want to turn with you to First um, Timothy chapter chapter 1. First Timothy chapter one and verse uh, five. Ooh, that's not it. Yeah. Now, now the end of the commandment is charity, which is love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Love of God. Look at Luke chapter 6. Okay, I, I got a question. Okay. okay. So I was thinking, um, there's a verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter you know, 3? Chapter 3, yeah. Okay. Where it talks about um, some people build with gold and silver and precious stones, and other people build with wood and hay, hay and stubble. And stubble. 
Stephen, um, from the, what the scripture talks about is um, the Lord gives the steps to do that. And um, for instance, I don't want to get too deep with it, but I want to, I want to stay a little shallow with it, but uh, that's where the real born again, real new creation, real new creature comes in as created after God in true righteousness and holiness. He gives the steps of, of having a, a true brokenness to God that we talked about in James 4, where you, in 2nd in second Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll turn it if you want me to show it to you, but it says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, and then repentance leads to salvation. 2nd Corinthians 7, excuse me. Good. <laughs> uh, so the steps there are that First of all, that we have a true godly sorrow, that we see we missed the mark, that we've fallen short of the grace of God, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we say, man, I really want to be right with God. I want to, you know, we came to that, we come to that place where we see that we miss the Lord and that we need to get things right. So the first thing we do is we receive godly sorrow, and that's necessary, a brokenness, and to see our sin. But the next step, the Bible said it leads to repentance. And repentance is different than godly sorrow, and it's, it's different, than, different than just asking for forgiveness. Um, for, asking for forgiveness is necessary, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But repentance is a turning or change of mind and a turning from one direction to another. Uh, it's where you were thinking one way, like for instance, if a person was, uh, uh, say, doing drugs or doing all these different things, it says, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. I've got a change of mind. I realize it's bad. I'm not, I'm not going it well. And they, they make it a different choice. Romans 12, too. Excuse me? Romans 12, too. Yeah, Romans 12, too, where you present your body a living sacrifice. No. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the acceptable, perfect, and yes. So, so where the person, he turns from his old life and he receives, he, he begins to, and he, he turns from that, which is the turning. He says, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that Jesus died for us, that we no longer should live unto ourselves, but unto him who died for us. And then he goes on and he says, if any man be in Christ, 
He's a new creature. Old things are past, and all things have become new. Not just some things, all of them have become new. That old life is gone. Like it says in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about, and if I'm going a little too fast, so you want to turn in, let me know. Uh, but I, I see that you, you understand scriptures pretty well, so I, I can go with you. Um, but in Ephesians 4, it talks about that uh, to put off the, the old man, the corrupt man, the, the, the old self, and to put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness of God. So you, you, you put off that old way, that disobedient way, and, you begin, and now you're going to walk with the Lord in holiness in the Lord. And when we made that choice to leave sin, not just some sin, not just a partial repentance, but a full repentance, and we walk in that, then what do we have? Then we have salvation. Somehow, man has lost it along the way, I, I believe, from what I'm seeing in Scripture. They've, they've come to a thing that, um, you know, you come forward, you accept the Lord, ask God to forgive you, and you're saved. But repentance is necessary for salvation. You can't have salvation without repentance. That's why the scripture says godly sorrow leads to repentance and repentance leads to salvation. So there, there has to be a choice just like you made a choice to start sinning. Not you in particular, not all of us. Like we made a choice to start sinning and made that choice to do that sin. Now we make a choice to turn from that sin and now to turn to the Lord and be broken and walk in the Lord. And when that happens, the Lord gives us salvation. The Bible says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. He says also that he's the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. So obedience is not only important, but it's necessary. And you're right, there are, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about, you know, that one man plants, another man waters, and God gives the increase. You know, and some do things, you know, with different motives, and, and that is a reward system. But there's also a judgment that we're going to come to where every person will be, will be judged according to their works, the Bible says, like we read, you know. So if, if I'm, Revelation 21, 27 says that no thing, nothing abominable, nothing unclean, uh, no, nothing that has sin. Sin can't enter the kingdom of, of heaven, can't enter heaven. Huh? Nothing uh, even, that uh, defiles. Nothing that I defiles. Just, I just think that uh, cowardly is in that. In yeah, that list. yeah. So, so if you want to, if if we see that, and we come to understand that, then just like the scripture says, we need to give all diligence to make our calling and election sure. We're going to make it sure, you know. And he goes on in First Peter, and he says, "For if the righteous scarcely be saved." Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And, and when he talks about righteous, Stephen, is, is, he's talking about not just receiving the gift of righteousness, but he's actually talking like he says in 1 John, if you would turn there, important scripture, 1 John chapter 3, he says this. He explains what righteousness is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7. Uh, John is saying, he says... 1 John 3, 7. Very important scripture here. One to take note of. It says, let, little children, let no man deceive you. And I think we have a lot of deception today. I believe with all my heart, and I know that we live in the last days. 
Paul said that many people would be deceived and be deceiving one another. Uh, they would be seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I think that it's full of it. I think we live in those days that Paul predicted of, and without a doubt, uh, I see it, that uh, we've, we've watered down the gospel. We've tried to broaden that straight, narrow gate to try to get more people in. <laughs> but God hasn't broadened it. You know, his, his standards do not change. The word, everything's going to pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. It will, it will continue until the day when we meet the Lord, because we'll be judged out of these words. But he says here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Be not deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So who is a righteous man but him that does it? You see, it's, a righteous man is not someone that says they're righteous or says, well, I've got Jesus' righteousness and I'm living in sin. I had, uh, I was, I was um, Jill and I were working yesterday and we were selling clothes for, I own a clothing business. And this one fella comes up and he, he begins to talk and, and, and talk about the Lord. And he said, uh, and he says to us, well, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. I'm a old wretched sinner. <laughs> Don's laughing because he said, well, I know they got you. And, and he says, and he said, he said, I live in Romans 7, basically. He said that. Yes, he said that. And, and uh, before my feathers could get ruffled, Jill's got ruffled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, so, and I said, no, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. Oh, no, I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And I said, that's not what the scripture says. And then he, said, then he began to say that he lived the Roman 7 experience. And then I got real sad because the Roman 7 experience uh, is an experience of Paul before he really, you know, when he was walking, when he was still in the flesh. In Romans 7, 14, it says that, uh, <laughs> you got it right that time, right? Romans 7, 14, it, it says this. He says, uh, we can turn there. Uh, and, and, and Cedric just encountered this too, so Cedric might have some things to add to this, which you're welcome to do, Cedric. But Paul starts off, and he's talking in Romans 7, and I really, I kind of wanted to go in that direction anyway tonight. But Claire took off in another, I liked her direction too, so that was good. But in Romans chapter 7, Paul starts out and he talks about, I don't know if I want to go this far. Let, let, me, let me go where he was and I'm going to go back here. Okay, I'll go where he was. This is what he brought out. He says that he's living a Romans 7 experience and that he's carnal and that he's sold under sin. Let's just examine those few words there. That's in Romans 7, 14. What is the verse? 14. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Sold under sin. It would be important if somebody's going to read that to, to know what carnal means. And if you want to know what carnal means, it means fleshly. It means fleshly. Walking in the flesh is what it means. It means, and this is the biggest word that I saw when I look up of carnal, it means unregenerate. Like he hasn't been generated. He's unregenerated. You know, you know of course, it talks about that uh, in Titus chapter two, 3, he says that for the, through the washing of the regeneration, we're in Christ. Regeneration means you are born again, a new creation. 
They were unregenerate. With this, carnal means unregenerate. That's what carnal means. So he wasn't born again. And then to be sold under sin, if, I'm, if I sold myself to sin, that's what I was before, right? Because I had sold out by just going the way that I wanted to go, doing the things I wanted to do. I was sold. I was in bondage to it. Uh, I had, the Bible says that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own flesh, of his, of his own temptation. And uh, then when sin is, then when that lust is, when he's drawn away of his own lust, and then when lust is conceived, it, it, he's enticed, which means trapped. And we all have been at times where we've played with sin and we got trapped in that sin and we were in bondage to it. We were, in, we were sold under sin. Je- okay, let's take the first part. We know what carnal is. We know it's unregenerate. And then let's take sold under sin. Let's just think of some scriptures that would be the opposite or, or think of scriptures about being sold under sin. Give me some scriptures that would say the opposite of that, that we are. Huh? Okay, okay, good, Don. I'm going to give you that scripture that you just quoted, okay? Look at um, verse 18 of chapter 6. Don, Don said that... Um, one of the definitions of being sold into sin is being a slave, being a slave to unrighteous, slave to sin. Well, verse 18 of chapter 6 of Romans says, being then made free from sin. That's the opposite of being, uh, of being what did it say, sold into sin, right? Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You were a slave to sin before, but now you're a slave to righteousness. Before you couldn't help but do, do wrong, now you can't help but do right. When you're in Christ. You, you see what he's saying? So, so he's speaking here, and, and if you go back to, uh, back up in Romans 7, verse 5, he tells you that what he's talking about. He's telling you now. Listen up. <laughs> huh? Don't worry, she's got that dog in mind. <laughs> Look what he says here. He says in verse 5, he says, For when we were in the flesh. So what's Roman talks about? Seven talking about, he's talking about when we were in the flesh, we were in bondage to sin. We were carnal. We were living after. Now, if you live after the flesh, you shall what? You shall, you shall die. Look at verse chapter 8 and verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do put to death or mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall what? Yeah. Live. Why does, he, why does he say in um, 14, in present tense? Right. Because he, 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 Paul did that a lot. He just like one time he said, I'm the chief of, chief of sinners. He's in the present tense. But we know Paul through his other writings that he wasn't the chief of sinners. He was... He said, I, I live before you with a conscious void of offense. He was living a holy and righteous life. He said, I live blameless, un, blame, un, unreprovable. He spoke of, 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 of present tense many times when he spoke, yeah, but he wasn't yeah. in that present tense. She's right. I mean, he says, uh, for wretched man that I am, not that I was. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking in the present tense. But like what you read mm-hmm. before that, he said it in past tense. Like, yeah, he kind of goes back and right. forth with it. But we know through the other writings, too, that he's... He, he, you know, he, he lived as a he lived a righteous man. You know, obviously in the future. Because if you go back, if you go to um, 
to Romans 8, he, he shows that, hey, look at verse 8, verse 6. Now, if you, if you carnal, you're carnally minded, right? For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For to be carnally minded, the Bible says, is enmity. You're an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither he can be. Verse 7 of chapter 8. Slow down. Okay. I'm getting too fast again? Okay. I'll do that. She, she keeps me. She keeps me. Okay. I'm good. Verse 9 to Macedon. Romans, Romans 8 9 says this. It says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's trying to encourage them to, to believe that they're not in the flesh anymore. Because if you live after the flesh, you shall die. That's why he comes back in Romans 8. In verse 1, and he says, For there is therefore now, now, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk, who do what? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, right? So if you're walking in the flesh, you're going to be under condemnation. Well, that guy needs to graduate from 7 to 8. Yeah, or even go back to 6 even, you know? <laughs> six, 6 and 8. But when, you, when Paul's explaining this in 7, and, and my guys, it, 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 it really... That's where a lot of the modern day church is caught. They think you that this is the life of a Christian. That the things that you want to do, you don't do. The things you don't want to do, you end up doing. And that's the life of a Christian. That's not the life of a Christian. That's the life of a lost, unregenerated person. If I'm living like that, are you living like that again? How do we judge? We, like Sister Claire says, let the word of God show you the thoughts and intents of your heart. If I'm living like that, I'm an, en- I'm an enemy with God. If I'm carnally minded, I'm at enmity with God. I can't please God. I'm, I'm, I'm walking the way of death. I'm living in sin. Sin is the wages of death, Romans 6.23. A good tree, we always go back, a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. You get me going again, Don. <laughs> but this is something where a lot of people, and that's what that guy was saying, as Jill pointed out that he was saying, hey, I'm living a Romans 7 experience. That's the life of a Christian. I said, oh man, what a mess. You're in bondage to sin? When Jesus said, in whom the Son sets free, he's free indeed? Okay, uh, so I, I agree with you for sure. But just to play the devil's advocate, um, what do you guys do about Joel 3 and uh, which says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? What's your thoughts? I, I believe that... Because let, let's say I'm a guy who... Like, there's a lot of... And I know you could... Well, I guess you could go straight to Matthew where it talks about, the, you know, the sheep and the goats parable. And everyone says, Lord, help me. And then, you know... <laughs> yeah, that's good, yeah. That's good. You, you know, when, when you... The Bible says if you seek the Lord with all your heart, he will be found, okay? And when you go to Romans 10, and he talks about believing, which, which you just quoted there, who believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved... It talks about for with the heart, with the mouth confession is made, but with the heart, with the heart, the belief unto righteousness. You see, that believe is a belief unto righteousness. That's what it says. So it's not just a, that word believe actually means, if you look up in the Greek, it means fidelity. It means obedience. That's what the word even believe means. You know, when you look it up, total trust in the Lord. So, because we know that, because we don't want to have, we don't have a, want to have a devil belief where it says, like James says in James chapter two, that even the devils believe and tremble. But the belief that we have is a different belief to where we, as Christians, we believe that 
on the Lord with all our hearts. We serve the Lord with all our hearts. Matter of fact, he uses that in, in, um, in the book of, of John 3.31. And the best translation I found on that uh, with the Greek uh, is, is the um, ESV. Don, uh, do you have that on your Bible? Three and thirty, three and thirty-six, three and thirty-six, huh? John, John three thirty-six. He that says he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that the word there is really obeyeth not the Son shall not have life. So he uses the word believe synonymous with obey. I'll give you another one. Um, First Peter. Don, when you get that to, to the ESV, I want you to read it. ESV, English Standard Version. So using the word obey and believe is the same word. But look at... First, oh, okay, First Peter, let's go to First Peter, I think it's chapter 2. Watch this. Okay, look at First uh, uh, Peter chapter 2. In verse 7. Unto you which believe, he is precious. But unto, unto them which be disobedient, he's the stone which the builders rejected. So you see, he's, he's saying, he's making the distinction between a believer, the one that's believing, to the disobedient. So what does that mean? That means, well, if you believe, you're going to be obedient. Because he's, he's pointing out that but unto, unto you which believe, he's precious. The Lord is precious to us who believe. Amen? Amen? But unto them which be disobedient, he's the stone that the builders rejected. It's like a mountain of thorn. Yeah, yeah. This and this equals this. Yeah, yeah. Because believe equals obedience. And that's why he said you believe unto Righteousness. Matter of fact, Jesus said, look at 1 John. There's another one there that, that kind of points that out too. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 5. He says, who is he that overcometh? The world. But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, what are you going to be doing? You're overcoming the world. So see, it kind of puts a, when you look at the different scriptures and let that scripture interpret scripture, then it tells you, wow, believing means it's being obedient because that's part of believing. I'm trusting in him. It's fidelity. It's, he's everything. To do anything else would be committing adultery on the one that I'm, I'm engaged to and I'm married to. You know, it'd be like uh, your wife, uh, a person's wife saying, well, you know, I'll, I, I believe in you. I'm going to marry you, but but I, you know I got this other nature, and I'm going to be doing all this other stuff because that's the best I can do. Because I'm going to sin, and you wouldn't put up with it. You know, you wouldn't put up with your wife going out and committing adultery, and and, and over and over, and, and say, well, hey, well, that's what do you else you expect? You know, I, I can't live a life of obedience, but I believe in you. You see, so it, it's it's a further step that it's holiness. That's why the Lord. Called us the holiness. And that scripture I said while, I, while we're close to it, go to 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. Why do you call the Lord, Lord, do not have Yeah, we're going to go there. I'm going to let you take them there too, Don. I've taken y'all there so many times. <laughs> I wore y'all out on that one. 
Look, look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 18. Let's, let's look at that a minute. And he says there in verse 17, he says that judgment begins at the house of God. This is where judgment begins. 1 Peter 4, 4, 17, 18. And, and, uh, yeah, 4, 17, and 18. It says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that, that obey not the gospel of God? What's going to happen to people that don't obey the gospel of God is what he's saying. Uh, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, again, what is, what is righteous? Those that do righteous are righteous, as we saw in 1 John 3, 7. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? It's a scary thought. You know, so, and, and, and you know, people say, well, I don't want to be scared. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 6, it says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So it's good to, to be like, man, I, I really need to step it up. I really need to totally have a total repentance and really receive this because obviously I haven't had a total repentance if I'm still living in that. Are you guys at with questions usually? Yeah. Okay, so here's yeah. a question. Oh, you're asking me? You already asked oh, several of them. That's okay. So this, this is something that I've heard a lot. Okay. And actually, uh, Pastor Moore um, with the Homeless Church said this today, which is, you know, there's You don't want to be scared of your death. It's just like, you know, it's just like you respect him. Okay. And, and, that is, that, and, and what he's saying is true. Okay. First of all, I want to say that. that it, it, that's part of fear. But there's another fear that I want to share with you. Okay. Um, remember, remember the Lord said, uh, and I'll point to the scripture. I'll go to the scripture if you like. But he says, fear him not who is able to kill the body. But fear him after he has killed the body is able to cast you into hell. You see, that's a real fear, you know. Uh, <laughs> that, could, that can be uh, quite frightening, you know. And like I said, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil because they, you know, they exceedingly shake. But David said, I tremble at your word. I tremble at, at, at the thought of, of, of being with the Lord. So you know, the fear that, of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. So there is a, also. Strong's. Can you pull up Strong's real quick? Mm-hmm. Give us a Strong's. Uh, he, he, uh, Cedric's going to pull up the Strong's too on something. So, uh, what do you want to look up, Cedric? Fear. Okay, but uh, I'm looking up on the definition. Got a lot of scriptures on the fear. Okay. Um, so there's there is both. Uh, another one is is that. Remember, remember you, you quoted it earlier, I think, when you talked about, you know, that it talks about it. It says that straight is, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the gate, wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way, right? Then right after that, he says, he says um, that um, beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Then he, tells you, then he gives a description how to know if they're false prophets, and he says... By their fruit, you shall know them. A good tree cannot bring forth good fruit. I mean, a good tree cannot bring forth corrupt fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So you'll know them that. And then he, right after that, then he comes back and he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he that does the will of my Father, right? And then he says, for many shall say in that day, uh, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many miracles in your name? And he says to them, 
Uh, he says, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of sin. He says that before we were slaves to sin. But once Christ sets you free, you become a slave to righteousness. That's what I told that guy last night. He says, what, you're not sin anymore? I said, I said, well, I was a slave to sin. But now I'm a slave to righteousness. And that's what we're to be. I, I'm a slave to do what's right in the eyes of God. I don't walk in that way anymore because the Lord has made me new. Again, one more little thing before we close is um, born again, um, new wineskin, um, a new creature, creating righteousness and true holiness in Christ, a new creature where all things are passing become new, is an experience that once it takes place, you don't take the cut arm and put back on. If you're doing that, then you you really not walking in that. If I got something exhibiting, like we talked about to begin with, let's just wrap it up together. If I've got something exhibit exhibiting in my life that's contrary to, like Sister Claire said, was showing me the thoughts and interests of my heart, it's contrary to my to my life to what the Word of God says. First thing I have to do is I have to admit. So remember, he confesses, and then I have to, after I confess, I have to forsake. He confesses and forsakes us, and then I'm shown mercy from the Lord. The Lord gives me mercy. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may be able to receive mercy and grace in a time of need, in Hebrews chapter 4. 